Podcast 144, The Elder Side 2. Brian Cramp, are you ready to take the oath? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I will sacrifice. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Welcome to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, and today I'm joined by Brian Cramp. How are you doing today, BJ? I'm good. How are you, Ken? Doing great. We are dropping the Elder Side Two today. It's 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 unbelievable, but here it is. This is this is the longest show in production we've ever had on the podcast, and I want people to kind of understand what went into this. Uh, it, it's not just we just recorded into mics and that was it. Uh, there was two hard drive crashes, so we almost lost the file that way. And I was trying out a new microphone, and my microphone was pretty much inaudible on the recording. So it's been a long struggle to get this done. And has it been worth it, BJ? Yeah, the first episode is great. Excellent. Well, let's let's see if we can keep it going. There's a lot of really cool stuff in KISS news. We're going to have to do a uh, catch-up on current KISS news. But, man, so much has happened. And Gene's just played up in Edmonton. And Ace and Gene reunited. That was mind-blowing. With Cheap Trick. The Ace and Gene, that was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So you never know what's going to come in the world of KISS. And, uh, of course, Gene Simmons' box set, the... Uh, the vault experience with the three price tiers the fifty thousand dollars the secondary tier and then there's the two thousand dollar tier and uh... a lot of people said it wouldn't work that this is crazy and it seems to be working I'm kinda surprised yeah, well, aren't you, you? you you have to sell a lot less of those than you yeah. have to sell of a normal box set <laughs> yeah absolutely it looks like i'm going to be doing it yeah the gofundme is creeping up there Yeah. For, for those of you who do not know, I was getting questions from people. Are you going to do an in-depth review of the Gene Simmons Vault box set? And I'm like, there's no way I can. You know, It's not like they're going to send an advanced copy for us to, to listen to, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the promo version is hand-delivered by Shannon Tweed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd almost rather have that. Nothing against Gene, but, you know, <laughs> hello, you know. My, 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 my. Jean knows what I'm talking about, you know. And But uh, she's a very powerful and attractive uh, woman, so that would be cool. But it's, it's, it's not like the record company is going to give us an advanced copy just to discuss. So Andrew Jacobs, person who said, you probably should start one of those Kickstarter GoFundMe things. And I said, I can't do that. And a friend of ours... Christine Carlson Wolf the Button Queen she said well I'll, I'll set it up and I, I was surprised when uh, we got online that night there it was and a lot of people have donated and I want to thank everybody this is not a charity this is not anything that needs to happen in the sense that there are other things out there for example the children matter NGO and all the people that are currently without power down in Puerto Rico and things like that. There's there's a lot of things, but there's always something going on. So if you want to kick in, 
like Matt Porter said, there's over 2,000 people on the Facebook page. If everybody kicked in a buck, it would be done. And I think that over the last 10 years of shows, hopefully we've provided you some level of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Have you looked at what's the nearest one, the nearest event to you? Probably St. Louis. That's probably the one yeah. we're going to shoot for. So. so once you get that, once you get the money, you'll have to go buy the ticket for that one. Yeah, it's and we're going to document it. This is the thing. It's actually going to be a podcast episode. We're going to document yeah. every step of the way what happens from uh, when we reserve the thing. We're you know going to talk about how that happened and every step of the way along the process. And we're going to film it, and it will be fun. So. It will be an actual upcoming podcast episode. So if you're interested in helping out, check out the show notes. Uh, the fundraiser address is gofundme.com forward slash a-vault-4-the-podfather. So check it out. There will be links in the show notes on Facebook and various social media but we're almost there we're up to one thousand seven hundred and five dollars so i'm going to be putting up some gene simmons drawings that i'm going to be doing for folks as well as drawings of the monkeys and things like that so if you're interested check it out are you gonna burn me copies (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) cannot do that legally cannot do that but uh yeah edit that out Edit that out. Edit, edit that, her out. Yeah, edit her out. <laughs> but you know, seriously, this is uh, this is a thrill for me, and I want to thank everybody that's part of it, and you're, yourself included. You even donated, sir. So thank you. Yeah, he, I donated a huge fifteen bucks. Hey, you I know, rounded it off. <laughs> there you go. Every bit helps, and uh, seriously, this is really touching to me. I never thought that this would happen. Just never in my wildest year, and that's pretty much describes. 2017 we've got peter chris came out and did that show you know you just never thought you'd see peter chris do a solo show let alone gene tour solo then ace and gene get back together then vinnie vincent comes out of the woodwork it's like yeah. what's next yeah. kiss yeah. unplugged too you know it just it just seems like something is always happening it's going to be a heck of a year in kiss when we do our year-long wrap-up It's going to be lots of fun. But today, we are flipping over the album, and we are going to discuss The Elder Side 2. And Brian, you were going back and forth with us on private message with some of the guys that were on the episode today. Why don't you set it up? Well, well, on the last episode, I know I talked about how ridiculous I think the conga drums are in the Dark Light solo. I've never understood what the hell was going on with that insane production on that solo. And it really, to me, it seems really out of place with the... uh, the tone of the rest of the album all of a sudden <laughs> you know, well, it, you know I talked about how Ace sounds like the rats from um, Frago Rock from yeah. uh, Trash Heap and <laughs> I guess I guess that whole song is is really weird the way he's talking on the verse and everything yeah. so I mean I always thought of Ace as kind of the the villain or just some weird people they meet in the forest or I don't know who the hell Ace is supposed to be in that song like what characters those are but, but I guess the conga drums kind of goes with the whole just really odd vibe mm-hmm. of the song. But, oh, my God, it's just so, to me, it's just laughable. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on with those with those conga drums. Well, I invited a, a, a musician who's a big podcast listener 
Manuel Ortega is here today, and he's going to play congas over a selection of music that you've chosen for us. <laughs> so, BJ, why did you pick this solo in particular for Manuel to play over? Well, obviously, it's Ace's most iconic solo. Okay, very good. Well, Manuel is giving us the high sign. He's ready. And, BJ, if you would, at the count of three, press that button. Are you ready? One. Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, wait, now, Manuel, we're going to go on three, not one, two, three, space goes. We're going to go on three. Are you ready? One, two, three. It's amazing. Look at him go. Oh, he's really getting into it. Thank you, Manuel. Thank you so much. He even put on his black leather for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Manuel Ortega. He's fantastic. What a great Congo player and KISS fan and PodKISS listener. Thank you. Uh, he even let me know he, he donated to the GoFundMe account. So, Oh, he said go, go F... No, that's something altogether. He said go F myself, something else. So... Well, we want to thank Manuel for showing up today in studio. It's fantastic. It's time to flip it over. Let's start the conversation from that sunny Saturday so long ago. If you listen, you can hear the train in the background as we set up side two of The Elder. Yeah, I'm ready. And welcome to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. And today I'm joined by Gary Schaller. Hello. The Council of the Elder has convened here at the big podcast elder table. It's kind of like a who's who in podcasting here today. If you are a podcast listener, this is kind of like a meeting of the podcast all-stars. What a great panel we have here today. We welcome Julian Gill from the KISS FAQ podcast. Welcome, Julian. Hey, Ken. Good to be back. We welcome Ryan McKay from Shabby Road. Great to be here again with you knuckleheads. Can't wait to talk some more Elder. And Craig Smith from the Pods and Sods Network. Thank you, Ken. Happy to be here. And we welcome the ever-effervescent BJ Cramp from the mighty Rock and or Rolled podcast and Cheap Talk. Hello. Hello, Ken. Good to be back. And now one of our most requested episodes. It's side two of The Music from the Elder. Julian Gill, I know you've written a book recently about The Elder. Would you like to tell us the name of that book and what it's all about? Yeah, Tim McFate and myself put together a series of interviews on the FAQ website in 2012 to celebrate The Elder. 
And when we were done with that feature, we figured there's so much here and there's still some people that we'd like to get to that we thought we'd package it up as a book. And that took a few years to come to fruition. It came out on September the 16th. It is 535 pages of everything you really never wanted to know about the Elder, but you can find out the answers in the book. And I can tell folks it's definitely worth picking up. It's chock full of info that you will get nowhere else. It's the kind of book that you never thought you'd see. Well, I like I'll to think there's a lot of gold in there. I'll second that, Ken. It's a great book. And me too. It's the book that I always wanted. Thank you so much, Julian. Yeah, yeah Odyssey is amazing. And it's it joins the solo album book in on my bookshelf of of you know books that I never thought I would ever ever be able to read. You know, so it's just incredible. Well, thank you guys. I love your books. Thank you. Very kind. Me too. And thank you for the Japanese uh, elder. (laughs) Nice. BJ, before we get going, what do you think of the cover of the elder? What what did you think of the packaging and the cover? Hmm. (laughs) I guess it kind of fits the whole concept of the album where there's not much of a story. (laughs) It's like... You look at the cover and you listen to the album and you really don't know exactly what the hell any of it means. The door is cool. Mm-hmm. The the hand just held up in front of the door. I mean, maybe it would have made more sense if it was grabbing the knocker or doing something other than just like <laughs> being held up with the fingers splayed apart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are nice knockers, though. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that knocker was even functional. That's right. on the door. I remember the story in Julian's book about it's, it's, it's just like paper mache or something they made that thing out of. I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, the cover, it, it's not going to dissuade anyone who wants to make fun of the elder of continuing to make fun of it, including the cover. I don't think. It's but, not the coolest cover in the Kiss catalog. And it's just the empty table, <laughs> the empty table. Now, let me ask you a question. If that same shot would have been the empty table with the members of KISS sitting at it in makeup, what would you have thought? Would that have been different? Yeah, that would be cool. And probably the cover would probably be better if it was just the picture of the door without the hand. Mm -hmm. Because the hand just kind of... I I think what they were getting at is that he's opening the door and stepping through on this journey and we're going along with him. Well, you know, then... Have the hand pushing the door and maybe have the door like an inch open and like a bright light coming through. But just who holds their hand up with their fingers splayed in front of a door before they push it open? Wait a second. You mean you don't do that? That's the only way I use doors. (laughs) Ever since I saw this album cover, it's changed how I've opened up doors. It even changes how I talk when I'm holding a, a, a guitar pick in my hand. Have you ever done that? You know, you do the Paul Stanley thing where you like, hold the guitar pick, you know, like three fingers up and one holding the pick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm that, isn't, that. that isn't to say that I didn't spend hours drawing this album cover when I was a kid. <laughs> Craig Smith, what did you think of the cover? Oh, man. I, I thought the album cover was great. I know that as I've gotten older and listened to podcasts and things, it's in red books. Uh, it's, it's kind of described as that brown album cover that just blended kind of against the the wall of the record store but I, I i don't think i agree i for me it was always very striking and very what what is this supposed to be um as i said in the beginning of the episode i remember specifically being in school drawing this and presenting it to the teacher 
kind of hoping that maybe the teacher would take pity on me and and buy it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it, it was I don't know like one of those things that that you just remember from when you were a kid that other people may not get. You know, uh, for me it was the hand on the door knocker. Like that is as much. Uh, a symbol that takes me back to my childhood as as listening to this album. I I think it's I think it's a great album cover. I love it. Okay. Well, let's get into the discussion of side 2 proper. Here we go. We flip the album over and here we are on side 2, A World Without Heroes. Where you don't know what Craig Smith, A World Without Heroes. A World Without Heroes is absolutely beautiful. It was the one that uh, I remembered from the commercial. In fact, uh, that jogged a memory of having the 45, so maybe I had the 45 before the record? But yeah, I love this song. I think that this is uh, a Gene Simmons highlight. Um, his vocal on it is is wonderful. Another great guitar solo by Paul. Um, really love the verse, how the... the uh, the bass pedals that E while the while the chords go from the E minor to the B minor and then it kind of just stays on that E and then just moves up towards the end of the verse. I think this one is great. And, of course, the chorus, incredible. Mm-hmm. Ryan McKay, your thoughts on A World Without Heroes? I think this is the time in the record where, um, or at least the only song on the record, where Bob Ezrin can stand up and say, see, I am the guy that made the wall. You know, because there isn't a whole lot uh, that's reminiscent about it, but this is. I think the ethereal guitar solo and uh, the orchestrations that he's putting in it, and just the the feel of the song. It feels like very kind of Pink Floydy. Uh, Craig touched on the uh, the holding the E chord, uh, the E note down, pedaling the E while the chords are going on underneath it. That's very cool. And uh, in the chorus, that. The French horn in the orchestration, I just dig. I just love that sound. And, of course, Paul, you know, Paul's got a great guitar solo in it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, along with Only You, these are the two songs that you would pull from the album to play for a listener who's never heard The Elder. Gary Schaller. It's one of my favorites. It's just such a beautiful, meaningful, honest song. And I say honest because... um, much as uh, they might mock the elder, you know, the members of Kiss, I do think that this, the, the lyrics to this song, uh, if you really, if you were to really talk to Gene about it, the, the, the comic book loving Gene, 
not the family jewels gene. I mean, I think he would fully acknowledge that this is really his his worldview, and it, I think it's a good worldview to have. Uh, beautiful song, wonderfully performed, great guitar solo. Uh, I have only good things to say about it. A worldview that I know you and I both share. Mm-hmm. This track, written by Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Bob Ezrin, and Lou Reed. Julian Gill, your thoughts. In my world theory that music from the Elder is little more than an analog of Destroyer, this is the album's Beth. So in, in that sense, it's very contrived, but it's just so damn beautiful and perfectly executed as a piece of music that it's impossible to kind of hang it with that baggage, so to speak. But it, it, it's Beth, you know, right now to being released as a single. It's so transparent that, you know, we're digging back into the Bob Ezrin playbook again of what worked in 1976 and trying to apply it to a band in 1981. So they're not going to bother releasing a single with a, you know, like Detroit Rock City on the A side and Beth on the B. This time they just go straight out with a world without heroes. So but then- it's absolutely stunning. The video is just beautiful. You know, everything about it is just a thing of beauty. And that guitar solo, just beyond compare. So using your analogies and your thoughts along those lines, by the way, I really love the sound of somebody doing the dishes like we're at the Destroyer Diner. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Seriously. I don't know who's doing it, but uh, don't stop. It's really cool. (laughs) I don't know who's doing it, but I really love it. (laughs) But using your thought process, does that make The Oath, Detroit Rock City, and Mr. Blackwell as God of Thunder? Absolutely. So then wouldn't that make the little bit at the end the outro from Destroyer? You've just got this. It's the same blueprint. It's identical, you know, to what was done in 1976. And, you know, they're bringing in Bob Ezrin because of his success on the wall. And no one expects Bob Ezrin to produce a Kiss album in 1981. And he's got name recognition. But they don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know how to do anything really new here. It's exactly what they did five years previously just with you know the the songs being based around some convoluted undeveloped plot at the elder table at the destroyer diner <laughs> that's the monks doing their dishes and in a minute they're going to start chanting <laughs> <laughs> seriously it sounds so much like the destroyer diner it's crazy i love it and ryan mckay is standing by in his yellow sundress please give us an opinion brother Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or from his wife, so there's the compromise. <laughs> oh, hold on one second. Oh, is that... <laughs> I think the dishes are in my house. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Brian Cramp, your thoughts on A World Without Heroes? I think it's a very well-written song. Like, like the rest of the album, you know, like Julian said, the plot is, you know, barely there. But, you know, otherwise, if you take out the concept album aspects, artistically, creatively, this the whole record is, is great. It's very well done, great songwriting. I might have some issues with kind of the soft rock production on this song. I was going to say it sounds like Kistopher Cross. <laughs> but, uh... Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I, it's a little too that, that 70s soft rock sound for me um so it's not one of my favorites on the album 
but it's a very well written song and it's very well done. And yeah, Gene Simmons as a vocalist, I think, is underrecognized for the range and the different the different kind of characters he can take on as a singer. And I I love Gene's voice on stuff like this, you know. It's weird because there's a couple times, like for example, on Unmasked, where he sings so high that if Bono from U2 were to do that same thing, note people would be praising him all over the place like crazy. Gene Simmons has a very wide range on his palette of what he can bring as far as different voices and characters to each album, but he'll never get the recognition that he deserves as a singer. It's a praiseworthy track, but damn it, demons don't cry. <laughs> but Julie and I saw it in a video, so... <laughs> I know. Nobody wants to see the demon cry. This song is just exceptional. It's one of my favorite, and it's it's one of the songs that really means the most to me on a personal level. The idea of heroes has always been very important to me, and I honestly cannot imagine the Kiss catalog without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song probably speaks to me on a level where most Kiss songs do not, and I love it, and I'm so glad that it's on this album. For a lot of people... You know, a lot of people might say that The Elder's a great album, but not a great Kiss album. Well, again, imagine the Kiss catalog without this song, and it's not as deep or good or strong. Our next track, The Oath, written by Paul Stanley, Bob Ezrin, and Tony Powers. thoughts on the oath the oath oh man i just have to say that i am so entirely happy that i got to see them do this on kiss cruise um something i never thought i'd see top five in the kiss catalog for me it's it's everything about it is so great and uh love love paul's vocal on it very good julian gill your thoughts one of my all-time favorite kiss songs period and It's the redeeming song for this album for me. The moment I heard it, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I got the single from Japan. So this is the first song I ever heard from the album. Plus, it's the one in my head from having the 85 
uh, version or the the U.S. version of the album for so many years. But you know, Paul's falsetto, I just think, really works. I can just kind of like visualize him on a white horse. You heard the story of him wanting to be a superhero and be on his white horse on the Long Island Expressway or something. You know, I cried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except, except in my head, I always see him looking a little bit like Freddie Mercury, wearing a crown and a cape, and you know, on a horse, singing this uh, with holding his sword up instead of a scepter. And it, it's just, you know, in my head, it's a great song. It, it's the one, the first song I ever learned how to play on the guitar properly. Um, I just love the crunchy chords and the guitar, and it. it's just. You know, musically, a very appealing song to my tastes. You know, good stuff. Just love it to this day. And you know what? When he pulled this out on the Kiss Cruise several years ago and absolutely nailed it, I was just so impressed that he was willing to take it on and go for it. You know, just wonderful. Ryan McKay, your thoughts on The Oath? Yeah, the 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 riff is so great, and I think we we mentioned uh, you know the touring with Iron Maiden and stuff, and how reminiscent it is of of them, and also Barracuda by Heart. You know, it's got that same chugging rhythm. Uh, great, great song. It's I think it's a great opener. You know, for sure on the on the album, the original uh, U.S. pressing of the album that we got in uh, the early '80s. The chorus is strong. All the hooks are there. Yeah, it's it's really cool. One of the things I noticed, I don't know if anybody else has picked up on this, but there's the, in the chorus, the guitars, there's one guitar that's hitting basically a whole note that's sustained throughout the the chorus. Is there a pitch problem with that? And I don't mean that the guitar itself is out of tune. It sounds like the tape is warped or there's a chorus or a detuning effect on it. It's where, I, I, if we're talking about the same thing, it's the part where it goes, uh, now I'm compelled by something that I cannot see. So like right around there, there's a... There's one bit that I hear where like there's a very sort of um, they really like lean into the guitar, almost like hitting it so hard that the str- that the string bends or something like you know that sort of thing. Is that what you're talking about? Maybe well, there's right that. There? I'm I'm referring to right when the chorus starts. You know, that very first note of the of the chorus. You know, sing it first, right? Uh, well, I'm blanking on the lyrics, but now the uh, compelled by something after that, that, yeah. It's at the section after that. Oh, your glory. Yeah, I that. Your And then this chord. That, oh, that yeah. sustained yeah. chord seems to detune. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. It huh. just. Once it, I picked up on it, I was like, oh, that's bothering me now. <laughs> and it, I've been uh, listening to this record for 30 years, you know. It almost sounds like it's unraveling. Yeah, it sounds like it's detuning. Like it's like, and and not that the guitar, the guitar is perfectly in tune when it starts, but you can hear it drift flat. Yeah. 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 This, this is on a Bob Ezrin produced album. So I'm going to say it belongs there. I think you're right, Julian. (laughs) I think there's a chorusing effect on it. That's doing it. If, if there was something there that was, you know, a guitar going out of tune slightly, or maybe, you know, doing something, electronically feedbacking in some way or or whatever that wasn't perfect when you think about the attention to detail on every single one of these songs that it would have been fixed if it meant to be fixed correct i agree i just find it odd it's like a weird effect on it yeah i'm gonna have to go listen to that song after this because i i i want to i don't hear it in my head what you're talking about and now i'm like okay i'm inquisitive i want to hear that and know it yeah (laughs) do you want me to play it right now 
You sure. well, you can if you have it if you have it up. I could at least point out which what it is. Okay, give me a second. Now compelled by something that I cannot see. <laughs> That's the one song I don't sing along to in the chorus. It's up there. Right there. Right here. Damn, what a great record. It sounds the like they had they had it turned it up to 11. That's, that's <laughs> the G-string is going flat, right? Is that what that is? It's, it yeah. Like it's resonating, resonance. Yeah, it seems like the whole thing is drifting flat. Like, it's there's a chorus pedal that's that's on it. You know how sometimes that can kind of begin to detune or at least gives yeah. the impression? Yeah. It's very strange. Well, this is where this is where it's a good, as good a time as any, I think, to quote Chris Sinzak, who who uh, wasn't able to join us this morning, but he wanted us to mention his comment, which is that it's Kiss made a great Rush album, essentially, right? So, like, uh, no, certainly no, no, wait, you, you, wait, music from the Elder is the best Rush album that Kiss ever made. It might be the best Rush album, period. Then, <laughs> ever that's made. it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, like, uh, yeah, you'd expect to hear that sort of chorus pedally sound on a Rush record, but maybe maybe it was just too too progressive for Kiss. They just couldn't <laughs> handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cramp, your thoughts on The Oath? Well, when it comes to the kind of music that's my favorite kind of music, it doesn't get any better than this song, in my opinion. I agree with what other people are saying. One of the greatest Kiss songs, such a great melodic heavy metal song the the guitar riffs are amazing the melody of the song like i said it doesn't get any better really than this song it's amazing what an incredible performance i'm 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 actually surprised that no one of note has ever tried to cover this song you know someone like iron maiden or somebody who can hit that note i don't know (laughs) i mean paul stanley is paul stanley so i mean how many vocalists out there would have been willing to take that on. I mean, it's so crunchy, you know, that it really does set itself up. There are plenty of bands that I think you could say, well, if you you applied that style to it, what I would have liked to have seen on this song is Mutt Lang producing this particular Mm, track. When you, when you think of the sound of high and dry, which obviously is one of my favorite leopard albums and kind of transpose it, that it just would have been perfect for him. Well, and just what if in 1981, Kiss had come out with a whole album of songs like this and produced by Mutt Lang. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. That would be like a dream world. Not that I wouldn't want The Elder to exist, though. I mean, I love The Elder, so I'm glad it exists. It's one of those things that you wouldn't want to change in any way, shape, or form. Even though there are two different versions of this album, so... Yeah. <laughs> and if you prefer to have the album track listing the other way please feel free to remix this entire podcast <laughs> as you wish. <laughs> One thing about the oath that I really love is the, the gave my word and gained a key part. You get that sort of, I don't know if it's the, like chromatic ascending uh, notes in the chords. Like the, those chord changes are so fantastic. Um, so unkiss like, and so perfect mm-hmm. uh, in, in what is also just a, a perfect song all around. I know that around this time it had been a very tough time to be a KISS fan because we had kind of 
as KISS fans, lost some of our heart because of not being able to accept at the time Dynasty. And then later another album like Unmasked, which I now look back on as great albums. And it may not seem like such a big thing to people that are KISS fans now, but at the time it was a very big thing. For example, my wife was a KISS fan back in the 70s and lost her way and then got into KISS again. Her brother had lent her all of his KISS CDs and so she just had a stack of KISS albums and she would go through them. It wasn't in chronological order or anything. It was just, here's the next one on the pile. So she just picked the elder and put it in and she got up on a ladder and started painting and the music's on and she's like, what is this? Because she had never heard the elder at that point. So to her, it was just another Kiss album. She had no context as to what was going on and how this fit into the Kissography scheme of things, if you will. And, <laughs> you know, she might have just turned it off because it was so different from everything else in the Kiss catalog at the time. So to her, it was like an immediate shock. It was different than any other Kiss album. So for me, I remember it being 1981. I remember opening up the album, and any time you get that double gatefold, it's it's just really cool. A great memory. Mm-hmm. Great. We've got a big hand on a doorknob, but there's no pictures of Kiss. Maybe there's one on the inside. Maybe there's a poster inside, and there was no picture of Kiss. There should be pictures of Kiss. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and there was that really cool plastic sleeve with had the... the the text on it and the KISS logo and everything. And I remember pulling the album out and putting it on the turntable. I remember dropping the needle and hearing the oath, it was a step in the right direction. It was so much better than Torpedo Girl to me at the time. So much better than Shandy at the time. Because it was something that was close to heavy. So it seemed like a step in the right direction to me. And I love Unmasked and I love Shandy and Is That You and everything that's on that album. I think it's a classic. But at the time, this seemed like it was a step in the right direction. As a KISS fan, for me. And in many ways, KISS being harder, and in a way, KISS's music being harder, was a salve for my soul at the time. (laughs) At times, music from the Elder is very heavy, and it almost sets up Creatures of the Night. And everything that I wanted from KISS seemed to be fulfilled in Creatures of the Night. You know what I mean? It's heavier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) the chugging guitars and the great vocals it really spoke to me it was one of those times that you say wow this is kiss you know (laughs) our next track mr blackwell Probably never will 
Craig Smith, let's kick it off with you. Your thoughts on Mr. Blackwell. No, I don't want to talk about Mr. Blackwell. Scared. <laughs> uh, at, at, as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate it once I was uh, less scared of Gene Simmons. Once I realized that he really just kind of was a, a buffoon with a reality show. Uh, it's The one thing I like about it most, I kind of like that those, those kind of reverbed, plucky bass bits and the the gurgling noises that you hear going on. It's, it's very interesting from a, a production standpoint, and I, I enjoy it very much these days. And lyrically, it sounds like something that would come off a Gene Simmons solo album, the, the first, oh, I never yeah. said I was more than I am. Do what I want, I don't give a damn. That's the Gene Simmons story, right? <laughs> and a great Geneism in uh, <clears throat> A Real Man Among Me! <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> that's why you get paid the big bucks bring it yeah right. bring it bring it gary Schaller, your thoughts on mr blackwell uh, you know you you know what i'm gonna say gene fantastic this song love it weird uh, interesting uh and and angry like there's a there's a really like you know you really it sounds like he's got a bone to pick you know this is almost the song that like i mean this is the best kiss song about uh, critics be damned that they ever wrote agreed 100% gary it would have been nice if they maybe would have explored that a little bit more i i would have liked to hear a little bit more of that in some ways ryan mckay your thoughts on mr blackwell so this is probably the low light of the record for me i you know, I, it's not horrible. There are some good moments in it, but it just doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. Uh, there's what I do like about the song is the the echoing bass stuff that's in the verse, and then also I, I think the riff, the guitar riff in the chorus is really cool. It's one of the coolest riffs actually on the record. Um, the that's a great riff, you know. And there's that little bridge that comes before the guitar solo that's really nice the victim of the human race and all that stuff and how it morphs into the solo i think those are great parts of the song but on the whole it's probably the low light for me the solo in this reminds me of the solo from almost human you know when you think about it yeah the backwardsness yeah and the randomness of it all you know it's like swirling around and you know julian gill can you speak on that not not musically or, or to any extent, but, you know, this is just a decline in the fortunes of rewriting God of Thunder, you know, where you had Almost Human being Love Guns, God of Thunder, or Gene Simmons' written version of God of Thunder. This is kind of Lou Reed's written version of Gene Simmons' version of God of Thunder. And, you know, it, that that's the only role to me that it it has on the album and it's i agree it's really a low point with the exception i absolutely adore the bass line in this song and that's one i love get my bass out and just play that repetitively i Mm -hmm. you know where where i love the riff and the oath you know this is the bass line the bass on the album that i absolutely love so you know it's cool it's atmospheric but it doesn't hold a candle to you know the style of song that gene had you know, perform better when Paul Stanley wrote it for him. Well, the riff really reminds me of some of those angular riffs that Gene would write, like, for example, in War Machine or Almost Human. 
it's like why would you put those notes together but it, it really has a real cool effect I, I, I like the the sounds that he gets when he does that you know what I'm saying yeah so I mean that's something else then that you know really kind of illustrates Gene Simmons as a musician you know a cap a capability of going deeper than his avowed meat and potatoes what is it hairy gorilla buffalo farts yeah <laughs> Gene Simmons has more talent than he's willing to let on at times. That's how I've always kind of summed it up. Kind of like he underplays his musicianship and his own songwriting. Kind of like the guy who acts dumb so that you'll actually be impressed at how smart he is down the road. <laughs> Brian Cramp, your thoughts on Mr. Blackwell? Yeah, what I would say about Mr. Blackwell is it doesn't stand on its own, but as a part of the album, if you're just listening to the al the whole album in the context of the record, it's fun and it works. But, you know, on its own, if you're just going to put play, I'm just going to listen to one song right now, you're not going to listen to Mr. Blackwell. I can't imagine <laughs> anybody doing that. But, um, and so, yeah, it's not great. And I also think more than any other song in here, this one probably feels like a fill in part of the story get the bad guy character into the story kind of a song you know maybe this song more than any other one feels like it was written as a place filler in the uh concept album uh world of the of the record you know and, and one thing i noticed and, and julian you touched on this in your book you know the the connotation mr blackwell is a figure that I, I seem to recall that I even knew who Mr. Blackwell was, the, the fashion critic. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it in your book that were, were they kind of hip to that and were they sort of tipping the hat to the real Mr. Blackwell in that? I know that the character in the story is supposed to be a some sort of a power broker. Uh, is that what it is? is my memory serves? <laughs> is that right, Julian? It depends which treatment you've read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it changes. I mean... You know, it's like a Kiss fan's opinion, how the characters change and what they are. One's a Washington power broker, another one's a medieval bad dude. You know, it just flip-flops all over the place, which is probably why the story doesn't make any bloody sense whatsoever. Well, I found it interesting that at some point there was that, I don't even know what time period this concept is set in, you know. I always thought it was medieval, old, you know, uh, Renaissance era because <laughs> of the music and stuff, but... To hear finally in your book where it said, well, it's a Washington power broker. I'm like, oh, so it's modern time. Well, it's kind of like <laughs> Star Wars, right? Well, it, it, again, it depends because uh, you go into the section that Brian Brewer kindly provided us, you know, with a, you know, a peek at the actual uh, script treatment that was written for this. You know, that it starts out in modern times and he falls through a magical door into different realms, you know, the, the hero. You know, and, but you know it, it's nonsensical. So it could be okay. anything. Every, really, everyone can have their own vision of what it actually means. I think is the safest way to put it. Hmm. Do, you, do you think the song title probably came from Lou Reed, the Mister Blackwell name? Hmm. That would make sense. That would make sense, really. I don't know, because then that ties nicely with uh, Dark Light Blackwell. Well, to me, the most cringeworthy moments on the album are probably on Blackwell with the farty bass and all that, but I kind of enjoy it at the same time. Musically, not yeah. lyrically? <laughs> well, both, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I think just one last thing to kind of interject about Mr. Blackwell. 
is one of the stage props when they were considering touring for the album that they planned on using was a well. So, Blackwell. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. It's a little too on the nose for me. <laughs> well, they couldn't figure out how to do the dark light, right? <laughs> the lighting director's going, I don't know what you mean. We can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's on right now. They were going to have, have a well on stage. A well, like a... A well. Yeah. What if the little people trod upon it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you really need Nigel to explain this whole thing. Yeah. It goes up to a... Did nasal. they draw the well on a napkin? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So we'll get there. Our next track, Escape from the Island. Our outro theme music. By the way, just because I play this doesn't mean the show's over. Craig Smith, your thoughts on Escape from the Island? Uh, just a great kind of... It was one of those I didn't really know where it fit in the story or if even if it really fit on the album. I didn't love it as a kid, but as you get older, uh, you can just that, that guitar work and the, the chugga-chugga, love it, love it. Can listen to this over and over again. Gary Schaller, your thoughts on Escape from the Island? Uh, there's a, in my fantasies, there's a scenario in which, um, they tour with Ace Fraley and Eric Singer, uh, and open with this song. Um, as you know, as weird as it would be for Kiss to do anything from the Elder, as weird as it would be to hear them open with an instrumental, I could see them just going right into it, like, da-da-da, you know, and also this song has such a special place in my heart for this podcast. Um... Uh, the fact that we closed the show with it um, makes me really smile every time I hear it. And uh, of course, now when I put the elder on, and I, you know, maybe this is like bloated ego on my part, but when I put the elder on and that song comes on, I, I expect to hear our voices say, "That's the show. Thanks for listening." That's I awesome. do too. <laughs> God, sorry. I had the same reaction yesterday when I was listening to the <laughs> album. Too, it was yeah. The end of the podcast. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you ruined that and uh, um, love theme from Kiss. But uh, but yeah, no, I I am I'm. I like Escape from the Island a whole lot. Great bass playing. Um, yes, yes, cocaine is a powerful drug, and uh, <laughs> and it's just a good song. Yeah, that's one of the biggest emails we get is that we've kind of ruined the song for people. <laughs> enhanced. We've enhanced. <laughs> we've enhanced it. I wouldn't say ruined. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but okay, okay. Let me say it like this: That's one of the biggest emails that we receive over time is that people cannot hear the song without hearing our ending podcast theme. Good. We have forever branded it as our own. Take that, Masters of Branding Kiss. (laughs) Brian Cramp, Escape from the Island. I love that you say escape. Damn it. (sighs) Did I say it earlier, too? Yeah, I think you've said it every time. Ah, Well, that's life. I'm leaving it in. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I mean, what, what Gary said about and what we already said about, you know, this being the, the podcast, the music at the end of the episode. Yeah, when I was listening to it yesterday, 
as soon as this started, I was completely taken out of the record and, yeah. you know, listening to the <laughs> podcast. And so, yeah, yeah you yep. really have... <laughs> I can't even experience the elder experience anymore because of you guys. You have stained the elder. <laughs> yeah. You've stained it. You've stained it. Does bring it. Us, it brings a smile to my face, though. You've pretty yeah. much stained it for all of time. <laughs> but yeah, this really does feel like music from a movie. You know, like yeah. this would be the music under like an action scene. You know, I picture them in like a speedboat escaping from the island, but I don't think the speedboat concept really works with the. <laughs> but I picture like Don Johnson and what's his name Philip Michael Thomas in a speedboat escaping from an island. <laughs> That's what I picture <laughs> with this music playing underneath. Which oddly enough could have also been Dirty Living from Dynasty. And Gene was on Miami Vice. So there you go. Comes full circle. <laughs> Ryan McKay and your thoughts on Escape from the Island. And is this the music that you use to film your special movies with you and your lovely lady? <laughs> well, that sounds like she's trying to escape from me. <laughs> Isn't sense. AD the one that makes the movies? Yeah, AD, yeah, AD <laughs> makes all the... In our, on our Shabby Road Record Show podcast, we always have a running joke of AD's of a 70s uh, porn star. Porn star. <laughs> so anytime something uh, that sounds like a title of a film comes up, we always say, hey, that's one of your films. What a, th- This song uh, obviously is a uh, coke-fueled romp in Connecticut, <laughs> but... <laughs> But that being said, I mean, what's great, what makes this song work, I suppose, is the fact that you can't imagine it with lyrics. You can't envision a scenario in which this this has a vocal track on it anywhere. It's pretty well put together as an instrumental, and I don't typically get into instrumentals like this, you know, that are just kind of a rock instrumental with no with no lyric. You know, I don't know. But th- this one really works for some reason for me. Maybe it's the nostalgia, but... There's a lot of energy on it, and Bob Ezrin's killing it on the bass, and it's it does it makes you, it makes you smile. You're just like, how much fun were these guys having in the middle of the night in Connecticut, just rocking this tune out? You know, it's great. This is what this is what is so hilarious about the idea of this being a concept album is uh, the here they have filled in a couple of plot holes with the title of an instrumental. <laughs> so now we know somebody's escaping from an island. We don't know who's escaping from what island or why or how, but at least we know there's an island being escaped from. Right. <laughs> so the story thus far. So, Ryan, what would the lyrics be, Mr. Smart Guy? Well, Ken, Ken I was just... I wanted to hear you say Escape from the Island in Ace Freely's voice. For some reason. <laughs> so the next track is Escape from the Island. What, it's Escape? <laughs> <laughs> it was at that moment that I picked up the album and smashed it against the wall and said, fuck those guys. <laughs> Jesus Murphy. <laughs> escape He's clearly from escaping the from the malevolent order. Malevolent order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But just imagine the lyrics. We're running faster. We're escaping from the island. (laughs) (laughs) Escaping some more. Here we go again. We're still escaping from the island. (laughs) We gotta get off of the island. We gotta get off of the island. (laughs) Someone's chasing us in another... Speedboat. Someone's chasing us. 
<laughs> We've got to get off this island. We've got to get off this island. island. Okay, sudden, um, becomes... let's record that. Let's get that. All of a sudden, it's a Broadway song. <laughs> Jazz hands everywhere. Congas from Dark Light would have fit better with the island theme. <laughs> they couldn't oh, find a conga player that could play that fast, I guess, maybe. No. They're escaping a, from tune. the conga player. <laughs> <laughs> There are union rules. Julian Gill, your thoughts on Escape from the Island? Well, this song was originally called The Chase. So, there you go. Makes sense. And I think, and I'd have to read, read the freaking book, but I think this was actually uh, Bob's basement in Toronto, not Connecticut, oh. because Ace did actually go to Toronto. You know, contrary to popular myth that he stayed home, he wasn't. He went up there. So, so it was Escape from Connecticut. <laughs> I think it, it might have been actually Escape from Toronto for Ace. Toronto, yeah. He's oh, like, fuck <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell are we doing? And one of the greatest things when we did the original Novelder feature was um, we actually had a guy contact us who had the reel from uh, the, the sessions that had eight takes of this and showed how it actually developed musically, which was really cool. I mean, apart from the fact, the best part of that reel was that there's like an extra instrumental at the end that I'd never heard. But, you know, very cool stuff like that. Where does it fit into the story? I have no idea. How does it fit in? What island? You know, I've seen nothing about islands. You know, what period? Is it a Renaissance island? Is it a modern island? Yeah, we're back to that part again. You know, it's just utter confusion. What I do love is the siren, which kind of takes us back to Firehouse. So you're kind of getting a little bit of you know going back to the very earliest period of kiss but why the hell is there a siren is that like a prison camp siren is that an air raid siren you know what the hell's going on and it's just it's so confused (laughs) we've got to get off this island (laughs) we've got to get get off this this island Quick, chase a gun. <laughs> so pretty much we've got that one. <laughs> well, we further desecrated that song on this podcast, haven't we? <laughs> We've got to get off this island. This island. It should have been like, escape from the island, parentheses, wherein our hero, but, and then have a really, really long explanation Detail. of that part of the story. Very Monty Python of you there. <laughs> okay, our next track, another single. I. Craig Smith, your thoughts on I? Uh, surprisingly enough, I know a lot of people love this song. It's not a huge favorite of mine. I think the Elvis bit kind of drags it down. Uh, I like it lyrically. 
Um, but there's there's just something about it that just doesn't doesn't work for me now at the age of 43. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't turn it off, but this this might be kind of with with dark light in terms of nadirs of this album for me. But uh, still still good songs. Nothing I would turn off. Gary Schaller, your thoughts on I. Uh, great, great song. Um, I, I, I like any of the songs in history where you get the Gene and Paul uh, vocal swapping. I, we didn't, we, I, know it, I don't think we mentioned it when we talked about um, Only You, but I really like hearing Paul's uh, contributions to that as well. And um, when Gene and Paul go back and forth, even um, the recent one, what was it? Um, uh, Take Me Down Below. Yeah, I like I like any of those songs with the two of them sharing leads, uh, and this is no exception. I saw this. I think I think Solid Gold was the first time that I, as a Kiss fan, saw them moving in front of my eyes. Um, they, they weren't making a lot of television appearances in like eighty, eighty one, eighty two, and so uh, I, I remember watching that when it aired and loving it. And so uh, great song and great memories. Brian Cramp, your thoughts on I from Kiss, music from the Elder. Yeah, this is a really simple song. Like, I think if you compare this song to The Oath, they're in a completely different universe from each other. Um, so it's it's a fine song. I don't think it's great. I don't really think the chorus is that great. So this song has never really been one of my personal favorites. Um, as far as songwriting goes, it's probably one of the, the, the low points on the record for me, just in terms of songwriting and everything, and melody. So... And also, I don't know how the lyrics of this song fit into any kind of a fantasy theme. I don't know. You know, they'll need to get wasted and talk about having balls. And I don't know. It's just like, it's really, the lyrics are really strange as far as the context of what the album was, was supposed to be. So, I don't know. Julian Gill, your thoughts on I? have no fucking clue. I, I mean, <laughs> it... I agree with PJ. I mean, you know, what the hell does I Don't Need to Get Wasted have to do with any of the numerous treatments? <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. it just, you know, it kind of really sums up how lost they really were while working on this album. I actually like it as a song. I, I think it'd be a great one performed live had they toured for it. I like how they trade vocals, um, you know, but it just doesn't make any sense. And I also, why did they have to use a different drummer? You know, when you see Eric on Fridays, no problem drumming. Right. So, you, yeah. you know, why was he replaced on this? You know, was he out a, a card game or something? You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's Bob Ezrin. And yeah, that's the thing. Uh, you know, Ace gets a lot of flack for the stuff he didn't do on Destroyer. But I think more than anything, it's Ezrin, you know. Mm -hmm. And then here you see Bob Ezrin is like, Eric Carr's not good enough. So he's got to get somebody else. So yeah, it's just kind of Bob Ezrin and his perfectionism, and you know, butting in and feeling like he's got to have he's got to have whatever he hears in his head played by somebody, you know, instead of just letting Eric Carr play what Eric Carr wanted to play on the song. I don't know. You know, and, and it certainly kind of denigrates Eric in some way, saying that he wasn't able to cop the sound that Bob wanted. You know, was it more a case that? Bob wanted to cut this at a time that Eric just wasn't there, so he got whomever. You know, I, I would almost prefer that as a story. Um, yeah, yeah. Than, than saying that Eric couldn't cop the feel. I'm sorry, Eric Carr played just about every style yeah. of music from R&B to rock to 60s to garage throughout the 70s. So how was he unable to get the 
you know, the feel when yeah. he per when he did a perfectly fine job of it on Fridays. So it, it it seems to be one that there's again a little bit of mystery remaining about why he isn't on this track. And you know, it'd be nice to get more of you know the real explanation on that. Who is the drummer? Is it Alan? Alan Schwarzberg, yeah. So Bob and Alan go way back. So maybe that it's something of a drum pattern that he knows that Alan does really well or something that Alan has played. It's like, man, you know, it would go good that Alan always does this thing. And let's just get Alan. <laughs> you know, I think that's probably the uh, scenario. That's the only thing I can imagine where it makes sense is that something that he knew that Alan was capable of doing, a certain pattern that he just loved Alan uh, on. So he just made Alan do it. Just get him. You know, yeah, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with it. I think it's a terrible decision. But it's... yeah, you're talking about a crazy anal retentive approach to instead of letting Eric Carr, who's the drummer in the band, play what he wants to play on the song, Bob Ezrin has to have some precise, exact thing that he has in his head mm -hmm. uh, played yeah. on it. Which yeah, well, he co-wrote it, so I guess yeah, yeah. It could also be something that he wrote with his drumming in mind. He also could have played on the demo. Yeah. That might be it, too. You know. And sometimes as a producer, you build a stable of people that you like to work with that you have a shorthand with already. Which can save a lot of time because, you know, in the studio, time is money. You know. Mm. Yeah, part of me, I kind of chalk this up as to, like, when George Martin had Andy White play on Love Me Do instead of Ringo. Similar to that in many ways, because we all know Eric Carr could have done it. We've, we've seen and heard him do it. You know, that's kind of how I imagine it went down. And this song would have made a better first single for me. You know, maybe with The World Without Heroes on the B-side, just as, you know, to copy Detroit Rock City and Beth, rather than going out of the gates in, you know, most markets with the ballad, they should have gone out with something a little bit more rocking. And I, I think the oath wouldn't have gone well. So th this would have been my first choice for a single. And it really fits in so well with your, your Julian, with your destroyer carbon copy concept because this is just shouted out loud right so mm -hmm. completely <laughs> <laughs> but i can i can make that theory work given enough time and beer <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much this whole album though you know give me enough time i'll make sense of it right when i was saying earlier it's kind of like what you make up in your head and as we've spent time with this over the years we've you know you listen to the lyrics and you put visuals to it and you make up the whole, the whole story in your mind and then we have the finale Morpheus you have been summoned here to offer your judgment of the boy still deem him worthy of the fellowship. I certainly do, Lord. Matter of fact, I, I think you're going to like this one. He's got the light in his eyes. And the look of a champion. A real champion. Which, Which is, has a name. Yes. The Summoning. The Summoning. Or closing theme is what Bob called it on one sketch, and on the Korean album it's called Dialogue. 
I mm. mean, that's, you know, just in case you don't know what exactly it is. Gary Shaller, your thoughts on the finale or the summoning? So weird. <laughs> so, you know, um, I actually didn't grow up with the that little bit on there. I had the cassette and um, at least the copy that I got didn't have the Morpheus you've been offered summon here, all that stuff. Um, so it wasn't until college when I got it on CD that I heard that part and it, it blew me away. Now I, it's all right. Sort of take, a, take or leave it. You know, when we actually got the script that these actors um, recorded on September the 16th, 1981, and there, there's a time with the release date of the book, you know, there's so much more there that just when you see the text that they actually read versus what is there, you know, it, it just, it's like Rock and Roll Party and Destroy again to continue that analogy. But so much of that dialogue in what has been cut out is the part that I can just imagine being played at that listening party and people going, WTF. You know, it, it's bad enough as it is on the album in the form that we have. But if you had the original thing, I just want to read you what uh, was really said. And I'm, I'm not going to try and do a voice. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the text, Ken, if you want to try and do a do a voice on this one. But uh, here we go. And we do so convene this gathering of the elder in the shade of the rose. Morpheus, you have been summoned here to offer your judgment of the boy. You have had him in your care for his first cycle of years. He approaches manhood now. Do you still deem him worthy of the fellowship, and of the task we must set him? And then Robert Christie. I certainly do, my lord. Matter of fact, I think you're really going to like this one. He's got the light in his eyes and the look of the champion, a real champion. To which then the boy chimes in, I beheld until the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne, his throne was like the dancing flame and his wheels as burning fire. Yeah, I think I need to go do some drugs now. Whoa. <laughs> so so if you're wondering why anything was, you know, possibly cut out of the dialogue, uh, let me just tell you that that little snippet is slightly better than a lot of the other stuff that's in this um, this dialogue script. That's straight out of the Bible. Seriously. It, it, it's straight out of somewhere. Well, and, it's uh, so Star Wars, too. It's so Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? There's so much. I, yeah, whatever the. Uh, I think that's why you know the concept, whatever it is, is so cliche and just unoriginal. Yeah, you and know, the young the hero journey. being groomed, blah blah blah. It's just you know Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, whatever. It's, it, it's everything from the period that was kind of out. I mean, here's another little uh, text. Here's the boy talking. Am I? Is there something strange about me? Am I different from the other kids? To which Morpheus responds, different? Christopher, or the boy. Well, sometimes when people are talking, like when they tell you stories, sometimes I know what they're going to say before you say it. Sometimes I can even see what's going to happen. Like really see it as if it was really happening. Like I was in the story. But what's scary is I see it and then you say it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, the boy says, am I different? And Morpheus like, different you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Replace uh, Morpheus's voice with Yoda. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Can you do me a favor and read me back that bit about the wool and the hair and all that stuff? I, I want to check something. 
I beheld until the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the dancing flame, and his wheels as burning fire. I swear that... Hold on a second. That is Daniel 7-9. This, this whole thing is here. Oh, they it is? Play, yeah. They plagiarized the Bible? It's from the King James Version. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like that of a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. That's straight out of the Bible. Oh, really? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Why would you just rip that part out of the Bible? <laughs> let's see, we don't know how to end this shit, so let's... Uh... <laughs> let's, let's look so, up the book of so Daniel. Well, you don't have to pay for a copyright on the Bible, at least. Yeah. I guess it's free. And that, that came from Daniel, right? So that's Old Testament? Yeah. So Gene, mm-hmm. so Gene presumably from his education as yeah. a youth, would probably know Old Testament? Yeah, and it's referenced in the New Testament as well. But, wow. yeah, when you referenced that, I was like, that's the Bible. <laughs> hmm. uh, strange, strange, strange. Wow. Which uh, gives credence to the kiss Jesus Christ superstar thing you guys are doing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's What's weird is this is the end of the album, but now they're just saying, "All right, we're done training him" or, or whatever, right? So the whole album was just the kid being groomed. What well, the hell else happened? Th- there was to be the sequel. Basically, from what I understand, this was about his training and saving something. That would have led on to more adventures of the the uh, Empire Strikes Back would yeah. be next. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they envisioned a trilogy. Yeah. What wasn't it called? Elder War of the Gods. War of yeah. the Gods. Yeah. yeah. But but really but so at the end of the album it seems almost like the beginning. They're like, all right, now we're ready for the story. <laughs> I mean, isn't yeah. that what, kind of what they're saying? That's just pointing <laughs> out that there is the new hope. So here we go. Uh, you never know with Kiss. Of course, Kiss was not able to do a tour of this album, so this is the closest that we get. So what did you think of Kiss on Fridays? That was, in fact, that was on that bootleg VHS that I mentioned. That was something that I'd read about in 16 Magazine, never saw. And then when I got the VHS, um, it must have been like 90 or 91, give or take. Uh, finally hearing those songs truly live, which I didn't realize they'd, they'd been done and not lip-synced, was incredibly gratifying to see and, and so happy. It's, it's one of my favorite appearances. I, I love the, uh, the split screen they throw on Gene during A World Without Heroes. Uh, for 10, 12 minutes of Kiss performing, it's so good. Gary Schaller. What do you think of Kiss Live at this point? Should they have tried to tour? I know that it wasn't in the cards for them to tour, but what do you think? Um, yeah, I think it, it, it occupies the same part of my brain as when, you know, when we talk about like a Carnival of Souls tour, you know, um, the, the, the what could have been. Um, had they, and I think the same thing as the Carnival of Souls tour, where if they had pulled out some of their darker, creepier material, like... Um, uh, like watching you and she and things like that. Of course, all the Gene songs <laughs> going blind. I think that would have been a great show. Julian, your thoughts of Kiss Live at this point? You know, I, I think they picked the right three songs for Fridays. 
that could easily have been integrated into the set, especially when you get rid of unmasked crap if they had toured for this album. So I think those three would have been good enough. And they, they did a lot of work trying to figure out how they could tour, but they were talking about synthesizers. They were talking about additional guitarists. And, you know, I, I think much of the album would have been too difficult to perform. I don't think they could ever have presented The Elder as a show. So it would have just had to have been a regular Kiss tour with a slightly larger logo, you know. Uh, you know, some of the ideas that they came up with obviously were used for the Creatures tour, the Dreadnought, um, which became the Tank. So musically, the stuff on Fridays, fantastic. It works live for me. I think it would have worked live in concert because then they've got their replacement for Beth. Mm-hmm. You know, a world without heroes. Beth and maybe Gene could sit on a stool and play the canned music just like Peter had done and throw roses to the audience. <laughs> well, they would have to do it uh, under the rose after all the roses drop, you know. <laughs> Instead of handing out roses, they'd be handing out under the roses. <laughs> Brian Cramp, your thoughts of Kiss Live at this point? It's really great that we have them doing the Oath on Fridays uh, because that's such a great song. And it's really great to have a live the band playing that song live in that time period. So that's a treasure to have. Hi, I'm sitting between Ralph and Millie Damiano, probably two of KISS's biggest fans. Listen, I understand that when KISS goes on tour, that you follow them across country and uh, just to see all their shows. I mean, Millie and Ralph, doesn't this really get expensive for you? Well, it is expensive, but we try to uh, save by hitchhiking. And then usually someone in the show will give us a place to crash for the night. <laughs> it is worth it, Brandis. I'd rather see Kiss every night for a month than go to one show with Sticks or ACDC. Okay, let's watch Ralph and Millie's favorite band, Kiss!
they had the idea of doing the whole album on the tour and everything, right? So. Yeah, because like, how do you work Detroit Rock City into this, or or even rock and roll all night? This is Kiss. They would have had to. They would have done two songs on the album, and the rest would have been the hits that the fans expected to hear, right? Yeah. I couldn't imagine Love 'Em, Leave 'Em coming into you know those kind of songs. Well, they could have done two sets, like do the whole album, leave the stage for an intermission, and then come back and play <laughs> Cold Gin. <laughs> you know? There you go. After Mr. Black was plaster caster. You know, it just doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Once again, here is Kiss! I think I think one of the interesting things about the Friday stuff is Ace. Yeah. Cuz he cuz he's playing. Yeah. You know, and that solo on The Oath is one of my, you know, I, I often say this about many things with Kiss, you know, favorite kind of moments that 
you can see him kind of gesturing off to the side. So maybe he'd just been miming up to that point or playing minimal um, or just maybe signaling for a change in whatever, um, you know, his setup was. You know, when he ripped into that solo, you really get an an honest off-the-cuff kind of a solo, which is very cool. And that's a great moment to watch with everything that kind of goes after. That's his kind of swan song musically with the band. So it's a, a little bittersweet when we look back on it.
feel so bad for missing that when it originally aired. I was in fourth grade and I remember going to school that following Monday and my friends saying, did you see Kiss on Fridays? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Kiss was on there? Yeah, they were playing. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed it. And for so many years, you know, I thought, well, you know, of course back then it's like you missed it, you missed it. And that's that. And uh, once I finally saw the bootleg, I just thought it was great, you know, and that took 20 years until I finally saw it or whatever. And uh, so I kicked myself for missing it. And it seemed like this this event that I almost didn't believe happened, you know, because there was no proof of it <laughs> until I finally saw it. Yeah, I remember when that aired. That was that was a real trip. Who would have ever thought you would have seen Kiss on this kind of show, period, you know? Yeah. I can say for sure that this is one of my favorite Kiss appearances of all time. Ryan McKay, what did you think of Kiss on Solid Gold? I did see that one live on a big old console television in our basement. I you do remember watching saw it live that. on tape, but yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah, when it when it aired the weekend that it aired, because that show was on weekends, right? It was yeah. like a Saturday <laughs> afternoon thing. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was really cool, and and I think it was, it was. Maybe not the first time I ever saw Kiss animated, you know, actually moving around. Because I did see Kiss Meets the Phantom uh, way back, uh, when, but I was only four or five. And so that memory is very vague. But um, this one's a little more solidified where you actually get to see them, you know, come to life. Yeah. It's, I thought it was really cool, you know. And I was a big elder. What The elder had been released at this point because I seem to remember knowing these songs as they were playing them. I may be mistaken about that, but I, yeah, I, I just thought it was, I, you couldn't tear me away from the TV. That's for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Tough. Uh, BJ, your thoughts. Yeah. Well, you know, back then I had no idea any of that stuff had even happened when I first got the elder, you know, in 86 or 87 or whatever. It was only two years later that I even learned that they had been on solid gold or Fridays, you know, um, so I didn't get to see any of that at the time. Um, it's interesting that they did all that kind of promo and then it was completely lost and forgotten, you know, for so long. Um, just that whole era, even, you know, only five or six years removed from it, the whole era just seemed like it didn't even happen. It was just like they were erased from the history books already. Um, but it was just, you know, before the internet, that's just how, the way things were. I mean, I remember getting uh, Kiss exposed, and it just blew my mind at the time. Because before the internet, I had never seen anything like, you know, those those live performances that are unexposed. You know, I hadn't been able to... That was the first time I got to see that kind of stuff. So it was so... For me, the Kiss Exposed video was so revolutionary at the time. It was It was insane. But you know it, it's it's hard for anyone to imagine at this point <laughs> what it was like back then without the internet to try to be able to see stuff like that after it had been on TV once it was gone. Yeah, the other thing the following year was the USA's Night Flight where Kiss was interviewed, you know, with Vinny during the Creatures era. That was something that was just magical to me too. It's like, wow, they're actually speaking. You know, cuz I didn't see the Tom Schneider interview back then. I was too little. But I did see the creature's uh, night flight thing, or actually it was a special, like Kiss Yesterday and Today or something like that was yeah. the name of it, I thought. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it 
correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, if you saw it, or Julian, back then, didn't they splice in some live footage of, like, the Sydney stuff in there or something? I remember yes. seeing cl- live clips during that night flight or USA Network thing that I was like, whoa, what's this? You know, that's cool. These things exist. You know, it's really neat. <laughs> yeah, that that was a godsend for us back then. Yeah, especially when you're 10. It's such a impact on you, you know? Craig Smith, your thoughts of Kiss on Solid Gold? Um, yeah, I remember watching this live and uh, holding the tape recorder up to the television. Mm-hmm. So I listened to this uh, quite often as a child before I got the record. Was there, but they also showed the the promo for a world without heroes, and that was something that I remember trying to track down when I first started collecting bootleg VHS, and I remember getting some kind of random. Uh, VHS, and I remember where it was, place in Philly. I was in high school, and it had the solid gold appearance and maybe like the first five seconds of the video for World Without Heroes, and then it cut off and showed something else. So it took many, many, many years for me to see that video again, and it was that along with the the television commercial, which surfaced on YouTube, were like the two bits of elder video that I... I was like I need to see these again and, and and see if they're what I remember as a child. So great to see those again. I, I love Elder Era film footage and the appearance on Solid Gold is great. I, I could recite that bit with uh, Madam uh, <laughs> word for word, and uh, yeah, just uh, another thing that's just ingrained uh, as as part of my childhood. Very good, Julian Gill. Please tell people about the KISS FAQ podcast and where they can find it. So, like many other people, I'm afflicted with a need to pontificate about subjects related to KISS. So the best way to do that was to start my own podcast. And, you know, inspired by Ken, what we try and do is celebrate the band and uh, go through a whole bunch of different topics with a rotating cast of co-hosts, panel participants, so you want to check us out you can find us on youtube on facebook our best place is on the kiss faq message board and we usually have an episode out every week and uh cover a wide variety of current and historical or hysterical events check them out they are indeed podcast approved <laughs> <Woo-hoo! laughs> and ryan mckay please tell folks where they can find the shabby road record show and we'd like to congratulate you this year for being part of Vintage Guitar Player Monthly. And that's pretty cool. You are also part of the Louis Prima Jr. Band. Tell folks about that. A really good band. You should check them out. If you dig some cool rock and swing music, this is the place. Where can people hear the Shabby Road Record Show? Well, thank you, Ken, very much. Yeah, very excited to be a, um, featured in Vintage Guitar Magazine. That was a real honor and a thrill, for, for sure. Um, and uh, I'm, so I'm a musician, but my, I also have a passion for podcasting inspired by the podcast crew and, and uh, BJ and Julian and Craig and, and all you guys. Uh, so for the last three years, my partner in crime, uh, A.D. Adams and I, we host the show Shabby Road Record Show. And the theme of the show is we each bring three vinyl records and we spin a track. We talk about the history. We try to dig up some interesting, fun facts about each record and uh, try to make each other laugh and crack a lot of jokes. And we also have our, our engineer, Ricky, who's got a cantankerous uh, sidekick computer named How 5000 who chimes in 
And uh, so it's a really fun listen. And we have new shows every Tuesday. We're a five-star rated podcast on iTunes and everywhere else. So Shabby Road Record Show. Come check us out and hang out with us. And now we turn it over to the champion, the fellow that has the look in the eye of a real champion, Brian Cramp. It was you who had the idea to spearhead this particular discussion and round these folks up in it. It's a shame that Matt Porter and Chris Sinzak could not be part of it. But tell folks where they can find the Rock and or Roll podcast and everything you're doing on the web. Uh, my podcast, Rock and or Roll, I finished up a 10-episode series about Iron Maiden, which Craig Smith and Ryan McKay both participated in. So uh, Ryan was on the Number of the Beast episode with AD, and Craig was on the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son episode. Okay, episode 200 is coming out next this week. I'm taking October off, and I will return for No Chamber. <laughs> oh, that's No Chamber. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. That's that's good. Good. I hope to be on your No Shame episode, so, so that'll be a lot of fun. It's a great show for people who love music. It's a great show. It is an excellent podcast and a great representation of what podcasting can be. You know, we've all remember the stories going into record stores and thumbing through the records and going to the K section and finding the Kiss albums. And it just says something about our love of music that we all do this. And it's great to have this conversation today with some like-minded people. It was a great way to spend today. Thank you for being part of this. Mm -hmm. I do not take this for granted that I get to leave the troubles of the real world behind and spend some time talking with you guys about Kiss. It's, It's lots of fun. Thank you. I, I do and, not take and with you, Ken. Same, same to you, brother. But really, Ken, this this elder episode was just a carbon copy of the podcast destroyer episode. <laughs> 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 Craig Smith, please let people know where they can find you, Eric Miller, and everything about the mighty Pods and Sods Empire. Oh, man. Uh, I am co-host of several podcasts, and I won't list them all, but you can find them all on the Pods and Sods network, Pods and Sods being the one that started it, and uh, there is a plethora of KISS episodes there if uh, you want to kind of dive in. Uh, thank you for uh, letting me be a part of this. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you guys. Uh, I, I admire what each of you have done. And uh, I'm fans of all of you guys, so this has been very cool. Oh, right back at you. Yeah, same to you, brother. It's a great show. Check out Pods and Sods. Julian, we look forward to more books from you, and I understand there's some crazy, crazy nights ahead, and that's all I'll say about that. I have started work on the next one, which follows the same style as we've done with the Genies, Peter and Paul book, and Odyssey, which is just the interviews with people related to the subject so it's so. the definitive examination of podcast yep 1500 <laughs> pages talking to everyone who's ever spoken with ken mills <laughs> it's quite an indictment <laughs> gary Schaller, what would you like to say in closing here before we wrap it up about music from the elder in this discussion today uh, yeah, this this record holds such a special place in in my heart, and I know as Kiss fans, um, love it or hate it, you can't ignore it. Um, and I'm just I'm grateful for everybody who's listening, and I'm grateful for everyone who's on this panel discussing this record. And have a great one. 
We want to thank you all for being part of it. Seriously, thank you guys. This was a blast. Thanks, thanks a lot. And uh, Julian, it was great to to meet you and talk to you. And uh, thanks for all the great books. I know it's like a Herculean effort, and uh, it's it doesn't go unappreciated. I think they're great. So, so well, thank you. That's very kind. Hopefully, we'll be on a show again together. Again. Sure. All right, you guys. Take care. I'll talk right. to you later. And get busy on those Zero. lyrics. Remember. Here we are escaping from the island. Yeah, I'll, I'll, start, the hook. I'll start working on some and send you, send them to you guys. We can all like put it together. We got to get off the Just island. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you guys. Bye bye. Right, okay, bye. It was really fun. See you soon. Great yeah. talking to you, Gary. Okay. Yeah, you too, bye, Gary. Bye. And we'll see you on the next episode of your podcast. Now I'm going to play the song. And yes, the show is over. See you on the next episode. Bye. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are Kiss. And we are your army. Podcast is created by the Kiss Army for the Kiss Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with Kiss or any of its members, past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podcast, the Kiss fanzine for your ears. Malevolent order. Jesus Murphy. <laughs> Which, by the way, Craig and I are over here on, on Facebook <laughs> doing more of those Kiss and Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, let's see, there was... What did he have? Uh, a million to John 1941. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I, I countered with uh, Damned for All Time Traveler. <laughs> He had a strange, easy thing mystifying. <laughs> and I countered with Pilot's Dreamin'. Finished. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know how to love him? <laughs> 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 you just put that one in. All right, cool.